Hello, everybody, and welcome to Minute 74 of Season 4 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a hilarious and poignant journey through the 1989 Billy Crystal Meg Ryan rom-com, When Harry Met Sally, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Jim O'Kane, who I've told you all week who he is. Welcome back, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> this week is flying by, Rob. I can't get over how fast it's going. Yeah, but it, and it's having a lot. We're, we're having fun. You know, I'm having oh, yeah. fun. I hope you are too. I hope everyone listening is also having fun listening to us talk about this. <laughs> so minute 74 begins with Sally waking up to an empty bed and ends with Sally down on herself and her actions. So yesterday we ended things with the, the two of them finally going to sleep and then Sally waking up uh, in a very awkward position with her arm uh, outstretched, you know, across <laughs> the bed. Uh, so again, thankfully, uh, Harry is no longer there. And then she she opens her eyes as this minute begins and tries to figure out why she's in an empty bed. Maybe she's trying to recall what happened. You know, I mean, thankfully there was no alcohol involved. Yeah. It. Uh, it's just. Yeah. It. It was. Um. It's all Joe's I, fault. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At Joe, yeah, he's no wedding present. Um, but he, yeah, she, I'm still trying to gauge her reaction. She seems puzzled. You know, where's where's Harry? Yeah. Um, is is how she's coming across. Like she was expecting this uh, adventure was going to continue, but uh, she didn't realize that the uh, <laughs> he he's already pulled over to the curb and is getting out of the. You know, it's been a lovely time, but I gotta go. Yeah. Um, gotta go and, clean those hand irons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, look at my wrist, he says, looking at you. Um, yeah. The, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, you feel, you feel for her for the heartbreak to come or that it's just, it, it hasn't sunk in. The fact that she hasn't even thought of it, a thought of like, there's going to be anything different in their relationship now, or that the relationship is only going to be good. It's just quite a surprise for her. Right. Um, but she has. You know, she has so much of her life planned down to the, you know, the the molecule, um, that not going as she planned is something that's very jarring to her. Like, you know, for example, Joe getting married. Um, but this is yet again another thing. It's like, well, why is Harry still not in bed with me? Right. And uh, you can, and we've, I mean, gosh, we're more than an hour into the movie, so we know what she, what she's like, and we can expect how she'll how she'll feel about all this. Um, this is a breakup that isn't a breakup because there never was a relationship really. Correct. And, um, but that's a new thing in her life because it does, she doesn't know how to react to it. And she's kind of getting into the situation that Harry was in, in the previous minute where he didn't know what to do, but now he knows what he's going to do and she doesn't know what he's going to do. Right. But he also believes that what he's doing now makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's, he doesn't feel as if he's doing something nefarious at this point because, you know, he did make it through the night. So you got to give yeah. him credit for that. Yeah. And he's yeah. got he's got very I, I, I wrote down I was trying to figure out what I wrote in my notes. I wrote the word perfunctory and he's got perfunctory plans to patch things up. This is the Band-Aid. It's not it's not the it's not the big you know surgery to come, but. It's at least just saying, you know, saying our plans, our immediate plans, and not even looking further than that, 
uh, is the best way to solve this problem. So he's already in a problem-solving mode of saying, I'm getting dressed, I'm going to go to work, and we'll see each other again. So we haven't you know, cut off all connection, but let's get it patched back up to the you know, square one again. Right. I mean, uh, what's funny is, is that, you know, we, we see, first of all, we saw her in, in bed confused. And then we see a shot of, of him getting dressed where he's putting his sweater on. Okay. Now, if you look behind him when he's putting the sweater on, you see uh, three shelves filled with more penguins. Yes. Um, did you did you count how many penguins there were? No, I did not. I did not. Okay. Count. Did I, what I count, and it, it might be a little blurry, so it's, it might be hard to tell completely, but I counted uh, 11 penguins on the shelves behind Harry, and uh, then we have the two on her bed. Lucky 13. Uh, apparently. Uh, yeah. Um, wow. Well, <laughs> so, the, set, the set decorator must have a field day going, I need penguins. I need more penguins. No, get me some more. <laughs> get me more penguins. <laughs> I want penguins. Yeah, it's almost like uh, she belonged to some kind of a multi-level marketing scheme called, you know, penguins.com or something. And these are the ones she didn't sell and then gave up on the uh, on the venture. Although they didn't have a penguins. They didn't have a dot com back then. So kind of That's true. Also, that's a good yeah. point. <laughs> nobody, uh, nobody even knew what a dot com was. Yeah. 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 Uh, what, what's um, interesting is, you know, penguins are, are very popular in 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 culture. You know, in pop culture, you you find a lot of places with penguins in them uh, for some reason, even though most people, you know, will will not venture to see a penguin. You know, you'll see them in the zoo, but no, <laughs> nobody's going to be going down yeah. to Antarctica. You know, you'll, you'll see you'll see the movie March of the Penguins, but, you know, uh, that that yeah. is not even probably in anyone's mind in 1988 or 1989 when they made this movie, you know, that that there was going to be such a thing, you know. I, 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 the penguin that always comes into my head, I mean, most people will think of Batman, but I always think of the, and there's, there's uh, Chili Willy, which was, um, that was an MGM cartoon, but the penguin that always comes into my head is the penguin that, uh, befriended Bugs Bunny. And I can't remember the name of the particular cartoon, but Bugs Bunny found this penguin and the penguin wanted to go home. And so Bugs gets a, he, he, he manages to get a ship and take the penguin to, uh, Antarctica, and he sets the penguin down at the South Pole, which of course has a pole that says South yeah, of Pole. Course. Well, of course. Um, and how else would you he, know that that's where you are? Yeah, that's where that's where it is because you know Santa Claus isn't there, but that's where they got a pole on the other side. So, um, so he sets the penguin down, and as Bugs Bunny is walking away in the snow, the penguin starts crying, and as he's crying, his tears turn into ice cubes and bounce along the ground as little ice cubes, and just and it and it turned out that. Uh, the penguin was actually the first penguin that was born in the Bronx Zoo. So he wanted to go home to the Bronx. Oh, wow. And Bugs never figured that out. <laughs> but uh, I don't know the name of the cartoon, but I will pass it along so you can add it as a link okay. somewhere. All right. That would be good. Um, so, I mean, I always knew of penguins as a kid because of the book uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Ah, yes. Which which I, I always found really fun. I, I did not particularly like the Jim Carrey movie version of it. <laughs> was it? Wasn't as entertaining as the book was when I was a kid. Um, and then you have the um, there. There was a cartoon series called Chili Willy. Yes, that's uh, MGM yeah, uh, property. That's right. The same people that did Tom and Jerry. Um, and uh, the probably the the most popular uh, 
There, there are two penguins that are very popular. One of them is from a comic strip. Do you know what comic strip? Um, penguin in a comic strip? No. It was in Dewsbury, I think. Oh, oh, you're thinking of uh, Bloom County. County. Bloom County, Bloom County. Burke, Burke, yeah, Burke Brethet, Burke Brethet's, uh Bloom County. Yes, yes. Burke Brethet was a. Uh, I'm not saying I'm gonna say a classmate, but he was he was on campus with me back in the University Opus, of Texas. Opus, Opus, there you uh, go. Opus, the yes, yeah, Opus, the penguin. So, so yes. the the one that 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 most people will think of is is uh you know the cartoon character from uh, uh, Bloom County, right? So you have Opus the, yes, the penguin. That's right. Right. Who who did who did Bloom County? What was the guy's name again? Uh, Bert, Burke Brethet. He was a law student at the University of Texas, ah, okay. Austin. He did a. Uh, he originally did a uh, comic strip called The Academia Waltz, which was all about college life. And then uh, when he graduated, he took the, he took the Academia Waltz and he turned several of the characters into animals and he repackaged it with the same jokes and everything as Bloom County. It was very weird reading it in the paper. It's like, wait, I used to read this in the, the Daily Texan campus newspaper and it's the same joke from three years ago. <laughs> but uh, he managed to parlay. I mean, he... He went to law school. He, was he a also lawyer, won a, he won a his, Pulitzer uh, Prize for for cartooning in in yeah. 1987. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it, it's interesting how how his life tracked. You know, that was like kind of a side gig that he did he did these cartoon strips while he was going to yeah. law school. But for for some reason, and, I don't really uh, answer this. My brother was in in high school. Everyone used to call him Opus. I don't know why, because I, I don't <laughs> think he looks like a penguin, but uh, uh, not really sure. But but I think the most popular penguin uh, nowadays is is the uh, is Tux, who's the mascot for Linux. For Linux, yeah, that, yeah, that you can right. uh, you know that you can see. But uh, you know, so yeah, so so Sally apparently likes penguins, <laughs> and and I, I think Opus <laughs> is the only penguin. Actually, Chili Willy probably was around also, but uh, you know. Uh, the 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 Linux penguin wasn't around uh, at the time of this movie. No, I don't. Think... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So Harry Harry gets dressed, and then he says, and then Sally asks him, "Where are you going?" And it's it's a pretty funny question that she's asking him that because you'd think she would already know that. You know, I'm hightailing that out of here. <laughs> like she doesn't know where Harry's going. Because do you think do you think this is a weekend or do you think this is a uh, a weekday? I I would think that he's got to go to work, so it's got to be a Monday through Friday thing. That's what I'm 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 picturing. This is probably middle of the week. She just called up at random, right? See, I I was getting the impression that that maybe it would be something you know on the weekend because the two of them do have jobs that you could theoretically say that they would be working on the weekend. Because why, yeah. if if he needs to get up for work and she needs to get up for work, so you'd think that she wouldn't want to, you know, stay and cuddle for a few hours at that point. Yeah, yeah. It's like they they both, they both got the day off, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I got to go to work. Right. You got to go to work. He, <laughs> he says, sir, I got to go. I got to go home. I got to change my clothes. And then I have to go to work. And so do you. But after work, I'd like to take you out to dinner if you're free. Are you free? And then she says, yes. It's fine. I'll call you later. Fine. And it, it's it's very uh, – it sounds like he's reading off a script. I mean, obviously. Obviously, yeah, well, Billy Crystal yeah, is, and, but it sounds like Harry is reading off of a yeah, script no, but, yeah, the way it, that he's saying it. I think that's 
I think that's why I wrote the word perfunctory. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's very, very perfunctory uh, vocabulary. It's like, yep, fine, okay, uh huh. You know, it, it sounds like they're making a dentist appointment. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah, we'll meet you at six, and we'll and do I'll, this. I'll speak to you at some so, point. Yeah, we'll, oh. we'll speak during the day. Because again, this, this yeah. was as as we've mentioned, it's it's pre cell phone, so it's not like he can say, okay, I'll call you on your cell. I'll I'll, I'll send you a WhatsApp message. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll text, text you. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I, I just got a footnote here. The uh, the name of the Bugs Bunny uh, penguin was known as Playboy Penguin because he wore a top hat and a black bow tie, as all penguins do, I guess. Well, of course. Um, but they the wear name, tuxedos. The name of the cartoon, yeah, the name of the cartoon was Frigid Hair, H A R E. Okay. So Frigid Hair, um, available on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But but I mean. The, the 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 way that the conversation goes is just very very strange, the the whole thing. Yeah. Do, do you think so? Do you think that this is a real excuse from from Harry, or is it just a made up excuse? I think it's a block. I think it's a defense mechanism that he's like, I've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and here's all of all, all of our duties and obligations, so we don't have to think about this part right now. So he's pushing, you know, he's tabling their relationship, and he's coming down with. While she was out, you know, pouring the Avion and stuff like that, he's like, I've got to think. I've got to What do you mean? He was going through her movie list. (laughs) Well, yeah, but he's going through her movie. Yeah, sure. But he was like, he was flipping through, but all the time he's going, I've got to come up with a plan. I can't use and irons again. I can't do this and that. She knows that one. So it's like, oh, you got to go to work. That's what it is. Right. So, uh, right. I mean, they both, I mean, we know know that she's a journalist and that he's, he's a political consultant. So both of those type of professions, you can believe that someone would be working on it on, on the weekend. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, cause I mean, the rest Um, of this minute is, is, we'll, we'll get back to this idea of what day of the week this is, because the rest of this minute also throws things completely, uh, out the window as to trying to figure out what day of the week it is. But yeah. but we'll get there. Is there anything else? And then he walks over to her and he kisses her on the forehead, which which also says something. Yeah, that's, that's a that's, very telling, you know, move. Yeah, that's a yeah. I'm not your lover. I'm your you know exactly. I'm your doting friend who really feels for you. And uh, you know, he could have just patted her on the back. Thanks. That's thanks right. for everything. Toodaloo. I mean, because because again, um, he it, opposite of it, it would have been even a, even more intimate if he would have given her a kiss on the cheek. But the kiss on the forehead is, you know, yeah. says, okay, you know, that's it. We're done. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, yeah, the the other word that I had written down, and I've, I've used this phrase before, um, it's romanticide. Yes. It's killing off a relationship. So I think that's where he's he's trying to commit uh, the romanticide apparently. here. That, and that makes sense. That makes sense the way that he does it. Wow. Yeah. You know, and then um, is there anything else you want to say about the two of them before we get into the the next half of this minute. No, no, no. I think that's the, that's the end of that scene. And I think, yeah, this next right. part, we got to get, uh, yeah. Right. This is, uh, right. I mean, as, as scene of the movie, I believe. The room, she looks even more confused than before. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What, what just happened? Is yeah. It, and, and actually, right on her there's face. another thing that what I just, just noticed happened? right now is, is that when he walks closer to her while she's in bed. So, you know, obviously we talked about the fact yesterday that she's not wearing any clothes, you know, and she was very comfortable being in bed with him without any clothes on. But as he moves towards her, she pulls the covers up more. And, you know, in a, in a very defensive, yeah, it's a very, a very, very defensive subtle, way. Yeah. yeah our, we're, we're not, yeah, we're not yeah. close anymore. We're not intimate. 
Exactly. And and then when when he leaves, she's even more confused as to what's been going on. You know, she has no clue. Yeah. Uh, as you know, she's without clue, as they probably would have said on Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the, the shot changes, and we we see uh, Jess and Marie lying in bed. You know, spooning in bed. And you know, a very quiet, uh, uh, quiet room. With with too much light, you'd think if they were sleeping, they would have some shades. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, they couldn't afford the shades. They 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 afforded the nice condo, but uh, you know, no shades. Yeah, and this I, did they ever turn when Harry met Sally into a stage play? Because this is the most stage yes, play. They did. Okay, this is they the did. most stage play they looking did. thing I've ever seen on screen. Do, do you know who they put on? Do you know who played them? No. If I remember correctly, it was Allison Han, uh, Hannigan. Oh wow. Played Sally, and I think Luke Perry played. Uh, wow. Played Harry. That's a. If I remember wow. correctly. Oh. Um. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this this <laughs> looks like it was written as a stage play, and they decided to film it. Um, because you could just see the you know, the left wing and the right wing, and then have center stage just roll out and. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, but it's a great scene. Yeah. This whole yeah, this whole thing completely. coming up. We'll, we'll get even. We'll get deeper into it tomorrow. Yeah. But we, we can at least start with it today. We get about twenty seconds of the scene. So the two of them are 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 lying down in in bed, and then we hear a phone ring, and then the two of them start stirring a little bit as the phone's ringing, and then Jess turns and goes, "Oh, that's yours." <laughs> <laughs> and they each have their own uh, landline. That's phone. right. <laughs> That's right. Um, I mean, we know that that Jess is a writer, and I'm trying to remember if they ever mention what what uh, Marie does. For some reason, I think she's something in fashion. I don't know why I think that. Wow. You know, I, I don't remember, but you know, it's it it's very telling the fact that the two of them need their own phones. Yeah, yeah. It's but it, but it, you know, each of them have their own bat phones. Yeah, and and you'd think nothing of this if they were both pulling up iPhones. You oh yeah okay that means they. Since they're both talking on iPhone. Exactly. That's that's the thing. Yeah. When you look at it from from today's perspective, everyone having their own phone. Yeah. You know, whether it's on the side of the bed or not doesn't matter. But you know, back in 1988, when this is taking place, yeah. to have two characters have their own uh, push button phones. I mean, I I remember those 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 phones that they had. You know. Yeah. The, that they show here, and you know, you have one that's in beige and one that's in black. You know, yeah. also show the difference so between who's, this is mine yeah. and that's yours. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, the wiring and all that that had to go into the house to get to get it to them. Uh, and yeah, you know, and it, <laughs> well, you either had that or you had a payphone and a you know fistful of quarters. So that's right. Um, that's right. And then uh, Marie answers the phone and says hello. And then we the the, the screen shot changes a little bit, and they they do this really well. You know, we, we get uh, a, a sort of split screen uh, on the, on the right hand side where we get to see Sally. You know, who's who's still lying in bed, and once again she's holding the covers very close to her. So so th- they have this like really interesting split screen, the way that it starts to open up, and because because it's it's not um, it's not pronounced. It looks like it sort of fades between the two sides. You know. The the line between Marie and Sally, yeah, it's, is, it's kind of like an overlap, like a soft. It blends in. It like it yeah. blends in. Yeah, it's not a split screen really. It's kind of a merge. 
Yes, exactly. And Sally is still lying there in bed, holding the the covers even closer to her. You know, as she's talking, it you you'd think that she would have gotten dressed beforehand, but she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I guess I guess she doesn't need to be dressed to talk to. No, uh, she, it's not. Yeah, they don't, to, to Maria they don't, the yeah, they, they don't have FaceTime back then. So. Yes, but but there's there's another problem here. You know the the fact that Harry has left her apartment. The apartment is is probably open. It's it's probably unlocked. Yeah, it's oh that's yeah <laughs> oh dear. You know Sally Sally is naked in her apartment uh, and the door is unlocked. Because she didn't say to Harry, uh, lock up after you leave. <laughs> Whoops. Uh... Yeah, seriously. So uh, Sally then says to her, I'm sorry to call too early. And then Maria's, are you all right? And and I love that Jess is com- giving commentary on the side. And he goes, no one I know would call at this hour. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, that's the Gilligan. Oh, and then, it's a Gilligan cut without a Gilligan right. cut. That's right. And then uh, Marie says, then uh, Sally says to Marie, I did something terrible. And then the phone rings uh, and we see that it's on the other side of the room. And Marie says, what did you do? And then Jess answers the other phone and goes, no one I know would call at this hour, saying the exact same line a second time. (laughs) And I mean the the way that they have overlapping talking overlapping conversations here is great. And then we yeah, hear and it's from so what awful. I, from what I understand with the uh, the behind the scenes film that I saw that this was actually filmed lot like they they filmed it with three cameras, and they were basically going back and forth with each other. Uh, it like th- this isn't this isn't cut in against somebody else. It was actually all being uh, filmed at the same time. Yes, I mean the the commentary talks about it. They actually filmed this scene sixty times. Wow! Because they had to get it right. Rob yeah. Reiner said that this was the most difficult scene in the entire movie to to film because they had um, they had phones that were connected between the car- between the actors. Yeah, we think they, right. would to, had... they would have to isolate the audio somehow, so you'd have to keep it yes. in different studios. Or different parts of the same studio. And he said that every single time they kept getting something wrong. Somebody flubbed the line. Somebody wasn't paying attention. Whatever. And he said that that on the 50-something take, they had it perfect. And then right at the end, when it – which is, you know, uh, the end of tomorrow, basically, uh, Bruno Kirby flubbed something. And they had to do it all over again. Uh And he said it took them another five or six times until they finally were able to – to, to get it right. And I mean, that, that's amazing that they did this 60 times. Wow. You know, this is mind, uh, mind boggling how much, and you know, it was filmed. It wasn't something like digital that you could just oh, wipe it and do it again. It's like, that's right. a lot of that's footage awesome. going onto the ground, aren't the cutting room floor. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's great the way that they show everyone here, you know, and then when it, when it, uh, when Harry enters the conversation, you know, with a few seconds left to to the minute, you know, again it it swipes, and then we have the, you know, the the the, the merge of the the screen. So it again doesn't look as if it's a full split screen. Yeah. You know, it it, uh, it blends in together there, and then we we see Harry on a payphone. Wow. Yeah. On a <laughs> so he had right. orders with him. 
That's right. So Harry Harry basically left her apartment and went to the cafe downstairs to be able to call Jess right away. Now you see, if he would have had a cell phone, things yeah. would have been so much different. Yeah, that's, that's so many movies would never happen if cell phones had been invented or in, in current use. I think that, it would just make things a little little easier. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there'd be less miscommunication. Oh. Yeah. Do, do you know Do you know when they started using uh, public payphones? In the US. I, I would imagine that it was, it was a very early thing. I would think sometime before the beginning of the 20th century. Be, nope. Uh, no, actually, really? no, 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 no. So they, they actually started uh, using payphones in, in the 1920s. Wow, I didn't think it was that late. And it, it used to cost two cents. Wow. And then in the 30s, it became five cents. And nowadays, it's it's very difficult to find a payphone. Yeah, I, I I've seen I've seen payphones in the wild where people take pictures of payphones. They're like, well, isn't this exciting? Look, there's one. There's, yeah. <laughs> uh, here here in uh, in Dallas, Texas, they have um, the uh, Dallas Music Hall is a large venue for Broadway shows come through and things, national tours. Uh, and in their basement level, where people usually go for. Uh, uh, intermission they have you know a bar and things like that there's a number i'd say like maybe 20 small cubicles little cabinets where you know pay phones used to be little little phone booths but the phones were all taken out so now they have these booths that nobody uses but the doors are still there the glass is still in the door you can there's a chair i guess if you want to go in there and have a good cry or something but it's built into the building itself so i they they really can't remove it without tearing down most of the uh the lower level, but it's just, it's just interesting to see how much that was, you know, that used to be a part of our, 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 or, you know, global culture. Everybody had a phone booth, but now it's a, an extreme yeah. rarity. Right. So the, the, you, you were sort of right what you said before about the pay phones being in the late 18, 1800s, because they, they used to have before pay phones, they had something that were called pay stations. Ah. Okay. Where you would actually go and you'd pay a person to be able to make the call for you. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a, a local operator. <laughs> Here's a, More or less. The money call yeah. me something. Um, yeah. So in, in the um, the Connecticut tel- Telephone Company uh, had the, the first payphone in their New Haven office uh, in in June of 1880. Okay. Yeah, that would be. Uh, and you, you had to pay somebody. You paid an attendant to use it. Wow. Well, I know, I know the two things about Alexander Graham Bell was after he applied for a patent on his telephone the very next patent that he had was a way of billing for the te- <laughs> he came like after he invented the telephone he invented the telephone bill so it was uh, you know okay. definitely you got to figure how, how am i going to make money off this thing so uh That's yeah right. I, I can imagine <laughs> the technology would be they had great incentives to come up with ways of making money off of it um right so the, the, what what they had at the beginning was is that you you know first of all you were paying an attendant after that when they had payphones they would have a post pay machine where you had to pay at the end of the conversation which uh, obviously from our perspective today sounds a little bit silly because what if you didn't have the money <laughs> the whole idea is you pay up front to make sure that you had the money to pay for it you know and so you just hang up and run away you know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the mechanism for a coin was invented by a man named William Gray. Wow. Who who got the who issued the patent uh, in June of 1891 for a signal device for telephone pay stations, and it rang a bell 
for each coin that was inserted. Yeah, the nickels would ring once, the dimes would ring twice, and then the uh, the quarters were like a gong sound. I remember that. Yeah. So by by 1902, they had 81,000 payphones in the U.S. Wow. Uh, 1905, they had outdoor payphones where they had booths. And by the end of 1925, they had 25,000 booths in just New York wow. itself, New York City. Wow. And in the 1960s, they installed the one millionth telephone booth. Huh. Well, so, Which, so, as we know nowadays, yeah. you have a million different places where, where people can go sit and uh, yeah. <laughs> take a breath or something. It's... um. Yeah, good good news for Superman. There's so much. Well, that that was the next thing I was going to talk about. The so Superman uh, routinely uses a a phone booth to change into his costume, and Underdog also did it. He would go to a he would get his costume from he changed into his costume from a shoe shine vendor ah. uh, using a payphone. I do know where the first use of Superman changing into his outfit in a phone booth was from. Uh, it was a 1941 Max Fleischer cartoon of the Superman uh, cartoon. He didn't do it in the comics. He didn't actually start it in the comics. He did it in, on uh, on the uh, movie cartoons. Uh, Fleischer's uh, Superman in the episode The Mechanical Monsters. He uh, he dresses Clark Kent, goes in, and they play his heroic music. And uh, you know he he came out of the out of the booth uh, fully dressed, and off he went. But that was the first time. If you watch the uh, the Fleischer cartoon, the Paramount cartoon, uh, The Mechanical Monsters, 1941. That's his first use of a phone booth to change clothes. Oh, wow. See, I, I actually love the fact that in Superman the movie, you know, they, they made the joke, you know, of him running to go change in the, in the phone booth, and it, it's not a phone booth. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's just, on a pole. Uh, it's, a... it's on a pole or something like that. So he has to, so he runs into the uh, revolving door. Yeah, the Daily News. And quickly yeah. changes there. Yes. Um, get Smart would feature a telephone booth that's right as one of the uh, obstacles you know uh, guarding the entrance to control what and um and there's a, there's a Brady Bunch episode that that uh, deals with uh, a phone booth oh yeah or yeah they, he he had oh sorry with a payphone with a payphone all the payphone that's right yeah and the uh that's right uh I apologize that the, my dog is barking in the back cuz the pest control guy is here um the uh uh, yeah, the Brady Bunch one. Uh, actually, they caused a problem with Pacific Bell. If I recall, they started getting a lot of requests from homeowners to see if they could get a payphone put in. And uh, said, no, we don't do that. That's just that's that's television. That's not real life. You can't have a payphone in your house. Um, yeah. Um, did you ever see the movie Jumping Jack Flash yes, with yes, uh, Lee Goldberg? Uh, so she was she's she's kidnapped while in a uh, phone booth. <laughs> where they pick up the phone booth with, and put what it on the Colin Farrell was in one, and he had to go to a, a phone booth. It that's was right. Phone okay, booth. That, that would explain. There you go. <laughs> I'm like, what's the name of that movie? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, good call. Yes, phone booth where 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 they had a completely different villain when they originally filmed it, and then they just had Kiefer Sutherland do all the voiceovers. <laughs> you know, and they changed the villain. <laughs> wow. Um. um dear, dear, obviously. Dirty Harry, obviously Harry. Dirty Harry, I was thinking has a has a great phone booth scene where he goes. Andrew Robinson has uh, Clint Eastwood going from phone booth to phone booth to uh, uh, to find out where the uh, kidnap victim is, and he has to uh, he has to answer the phone by himself, mm. if I recall correctly. Right. 
Okay, and then you have Harry Potter. Yes, where they a, oh. have to. You know, there's there's a phone booth outside of the Ministry of Magic that they have to use in order to get into the Ministry. Yep, and the Matrix. There's a the Matrix yes. has the phone. That's uh, right. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes, there we go. Wow. <laughs> so phone, yeah, they should give a phone booth a lifetime achievement award for the next Oscars, maybe. Apparently, apparently. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that, that that's what I have about payphones. So that was I, I just find it very interesting that that. You know, the other three people are on their home phones, and Harry didn't even wait to go home. <laughs> you know, he had to call Jess right away. Wow. And and wake him up. Yes, I, I guess he's not one to kiss and tell, but he is one to kiss and tell. So. Uh, yeah, but his he he tells his story much uh, much more succinctly. We'll we'll get yeah. to that tomorrow. Yeah. Than than Sally. So you uh, have to you have to give him a little credit for that. <laughs> but a great yeah great very. Very Howard Hawks level of well, I'm going to say a bit more, but I think it's a Howard Hawks level of uh, the banter. It, it keeps speeding up, and we'll, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. That's fine. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you have anything else you want to say before we get into the script? No, I think we're okay. Okay. So there's there's the the dialogue is pretty much the same. There's one change here. When Harry explains to Sally why he's leaving, he says. I have to go home and change from yesterday's clothes into today's clothes. And then I have to go to work. And so do you. And after work, I'd like to take you out to dinner if you're free. Are you free? So it flows much better in the movie. He doesn't have to say I have to change from yesterday's clothes to today's clothes yeah. <laughs> or anything like that. It's, uh, you know, Billy yeah. Crystal did a nice job of, of yeah. cutting that. Yes, you, and, yes uh, you, you blew your nose on my sweater. Sorry. I've got... <laughs> that's right. I can't go to work with snot on my sweater. <laughs> All right. So every Thursday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track uh, Dating Courting Edition, where my guests will give some sort of story, adventure, anecdote, misadventure, something that happened to them over the course of their life that is somehow related to dating or courting. So, Jimmy, have another story for yes, us? Yes, I have one about my, my lovely uh, my lovely bride, Nancy, who uh, actually I have, I have a story about her and her mom. Uh, her mom uh, was an interesting, interesting lady who... Uh, she showed her love by trying to improve people. So she would tell people what to, uh, Nancy, when she would visit her mom, would tell her what she had wrong about her. And it's like, you're, you know, you really need to get a haircut. You're what's wrong with your dress has some threads loose and things like that. And I said, well, that she's telling you that because she cares about you. And uh, she got along with me very well. She was always uh, very nice. And uh, she took ill and wound up in a hospital and, uh, as it turned out, she uh, we we went to visit her in the hospital on what would be her her deathbed. It was her last day of her life, and I went in I went in to see her, and uh, I looked at her and she held up a weak hand, and she she leaned forward toward me and she put her hand against my uh, uh, my abdomen, and she said, "Jim, Jim, you're getting a pot belly." And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she passed away the next day. But uh, Nancy turned to me and she said, "Those were her last words to you." Yeah, her, yeah. Well, one of her last words to me was, "You're getting a pot belly." And uh, <laughs> and Nancy turned to me and she said, "I guess you're family now." So 
<laughs> it was very much her, and I know I know she said it with love, so it was uh, it was really kind of her to tell me that I and I've been work I've been working on my pot belly ever since. <laughs> so so she, <laughs> she she helped me helped me along, but that's uh it's it's not everybody's conventional idea of romance, but I I felt very part of her family once she once she told me what I was doing wrong. So wow, okay, that's great. That's a great story. Thank you very much for that, Jim. You want to once again tell people where they can find Jim O'Kane? Yeah, well, uh, hopefully people can tune in on our current uh, Movies by Minutes uh, group project, Bowfinger Minute. If you've ever seen the movie, or if you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie Bowfinger. I, I enjoyed it very much. Steve Martin, uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, Frank Oz directed feature uh, Bowfinger, 1999. Great movie about making movies or trying to make movies or faking it till you make it is it's your choice on on that comedy but we have it at uh bowfingerminute.com is it's also available on wherever you get probably wherever you get this podcast you can probably find it out there it's on itunes google play spotify and all or your usual podcasters but uh, we've got uh more than a dozen uh podcast teams so it's kind of a a good sampler of all the movies by minutes or many of the movies by minutes uh, hosts and how they approach movies so join us there bowfingerminute.com all right great and while you're doing that you can go rate review and subscribe on any podcast you might be using to listen to the show and finding me is very simple just do a quick search for a movie around minute you can find me on facebook find me on twitter or you can go directly to my website moveeroperminute.com so Jimmy, you feel like come back tomorrow to to, to finishing off well, this conversation, both between us and between the four of them on screen? Yeah, we'll 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 put a bow on this one. This is great, but uh, I I have to get more quarters for my payphone. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe he used the uh, oh the calling uh, card, you know the calling card. Yeah, yeah, I remember I used to. I remember my parents gave me their their calling. The the funny thing about the calling card was is that it would just you'd have like uh, a few extra digits added to your phone number. Yeah, uh, you know, like it was it was my parents' phone number plus I think four or six digits or something like that. Yeah, you know, so if, so if I was like calling my parents, all I had to do was just say this the the you know the extra digits when when I got to the operator. Yeah, you know, for that type. Of my I, my favorite part was if you're if you're calling somebody you didn't have any money you'd make a collect call to mom pick me up. Right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but those were the days. I'm glad they're all over though. Yes. That's true. That's true. All right. So until tomorrow, I'll have what she's having. I'll have what she's having. Gave me a thrill with all your faults. I love you still. It had to be you. Wonderful you. Had to be you.